0: I want to launch into our message this morning and and really believe, as I shared last Sunday, if this is your first time joining us, last Sunday we kicked off a series called Moving Forward, and I really believe it is a prophetic message for the hour, not just in the current situation that we find ourselves, but it's a message for God's people throughout history as we move forward in faithfulness. Last week, we talked about some pretty unusual circumstances regarding the birth of Moses, God's great uh, deliverer and redeemer. And it wasn't the men we were highlighting last week. It was the courageous women. Come on, ladies, give it up for some courageous women in the house. Thank God for the ladies and thank God for women of courage. We talked about two Hebrew midwives who were confronted with a direct commandment from Pharaoh that whenever the Hebrew women gave birth to a son, they were to kill that child. But how many of you know those Hebrew midwives had some courage? And they realized that killing children is a worse option than allowing life to happen and allowing the blessing of of babies in this world. And they chose to fear God instead of fearing the most powerful ruler on the planet at that time. How do you know that takes courage? Uh, It takes courage to choose righteousness over evil in an evil age. And that's exactly what they did. And we shared with you the principle that is so important just by way of review. If you're living in uncertain times, and and we are certainly in those times where everything just seems uh, kind of turned upside down. Anybody know what I'm talking? about. You're just like, what world are we living in? Um, When you're living in times like that, you need to go back to your convictions. And I encourage us to be people of conviction because when you know who you are and you know what you believe, you can make decisions really well. How many of you know when you are committed to life, then any kind of choice you have or commandment you have that does not include life, it's easy to say, well, I can't do that. Does that make sense? When you know what you believe, it provides some guide, guidelines for you to stay focused and to keep moving forward in your journey. These Hebrew midwives realized that we can't do that. And so they simply made a choice to fear God. And I want to encourage this. I know we're living in a day and age when when the phrase fear God seems so politically incorrect because we've swung to the other side and we're so into the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, the goodness of God. How many of you know those are all great things? But the fear of God simply means you're going to choose to live your life in obedience to the Lord and you're going to value what God values more than you're going to value what the world values. And how many of you know that's been the challenge of the church all throughout history is do we conform to what everybody else is doing or are we countercultural? How many of you have heard that phrase that dead things, dead fish can float downstream? Anything anything dead can float with the current. But it takes a living thing to go across current, all right, to go against the current. Now, I'm not encouraging us all to be a bunch of radical nonconformists. I am saying this, though. We need to be people who choose what God values over what our world values, which is going to put us against the world nine times out of ten. How many of you know that's the truth? So the decisions that you're making, the choices that you're making, many times you have to swim, swim upstream. I just want to tell you that's how God created us. That's how we roll. That's how we operate. That's how people of God act. We go against the grain. And when you fear God, And when you do what's right, instead of doing what's acceptable or convenient or comfortable, I just want to tell you this, God backs up your actions. God gave these Hebrew women their own families because they were willing to protect the families of others. Isn't that awesome? So when you stand up for righteousness, God sees what you're doing. God hears your prayers. God watches your behavior. And when you fear the Lord and you fear Him more than any other thing in your life, when you fear the Lord, God backs your life and you walk in the blessing of God. How many of you know that's the truth? It also means you prosper no matter what situations are going on because God always has His hands on His people. So can I encourage you? Get happy even in times when things are being shaken because God's promise to us is he will never leave us and he's never going to forsake us. And even under the worst of the plagues that happened in Egypt, God's blessing and his promises and his provision were sitting on his people there in Goshen and the blessing was there. You got to get that in your spirit, especially when we're moving in times where things are shaking. Then we talked about uh, Moses's radical mama. How many of you know, we praise God for some radical mamas in the house, all right? He was facing, or they were facing as a couple, this choice. Do we take the risk of conceiving and giving birth to a child when we have a 50-50 chance that the child that is born will be murdered uh, upon birth? I mean, you know, that's a sobering issue to have to face. And I shared with you last week, I'm sure there were some Hebrew people that were arguing that having a child would be incredibly irresponsible under circumstances like that, right? How selfish of you to even think of having a baby when you know that there's a chance that this child might be killed. But guess what? You stay with your convictions. Here's, Here's how this works. Is marriage a good thing in the eyes of God? Are families good things in the eyes of God? Then when you're in hostile situations, those things don't change. It's still good to be married. It's still great to have a family. All right. Those are good things. God God says those are good things. So what do you do? You keep acting on what you do know, not on what you don't know. I told you last week, every what if has two very uh, different endings. We can say, well, what if? And then we go that direction. Or we can say, yeah, but the, uh, the opposite could happen. What if? And we go the other direction. So I encourage you, every time you're confronted with a what if, lean into faith. Your imagination gives you the ability to paint a picture of a preferred future with the Lord. So why don't you paint a great picture with the Lord in the middle of it instead of painting a depressing picture with God nowhere to be found that ends in death and destruction and doom? It takes just as much faith to paint that picture as it does to paint the other picture. This making sense to everybody. We have a choice. We can either be depressed demoralized, downtrodden, beat up, and, and woe is me about the future, or you can choose to paint a picture with God in the middle of all that, and the blessing of God, and the provision of God, and the promises of God. It simply is a matter of your choice and whether you're inspired by faith or not. So I'm just encouraging, why don't we dream good dreams? Why don't we dream dreams where the Lord's doing amazing things? Why don't we dream dreams about God's providing for us in the future in ways that are supernatural and awesome? Why don't we dream of revival in America instead of dreaming that America is going to go down the toilet? Why don't we dream that the virus is going to be gone really soon and we're not going to already be excited that it's going to come back in the fall like everybody's prophesying? (laughs) I just want to grab some of these news anchors and just go... In Christian love, of course, but I just want to slap them around. That's why I turned off my TV. It wasn't good for my soul. I was yelling at an inanimate object. That's not a good, good sign. I just turned it off. I'm tired of people prophesying gloom and doom. Let's be people of life. Let's be people who choose life. Let's be people who believe God. Let's be people who are change agents. That's the message of the hour. So let's make our what-ifs be really good all right and let's lean into faith i want to talk to you today about moving forward i want to begin with a great quote from the reverend martin luther king jr he said this the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy can i get an amen on that In other words, it's easy to be holy, righteous, good Christian person when the wind's blowing at your back and the sun's shining and everything's great. But how many of you have figured out it's when things are shaken when it really shows you what you're made out of? It's what comes out of your heart. We're living in a season now where everything that can be shaken is being shaken, and really what's being exposed is what's on the inside of us. I've been challenging you that it's time to move forward, but how many of you know we can talk about moving forward or we can talk about moving backwards? But here's the issue. If you don't know where you're going, it's meaningless. Either choice is meaningless, because to move forward means that you have a destination in mind that's better than where you're at. Are you with me? If you never define where you're going, it's impossible for you to move forward. You can move, but it might be like when you try to reboot your computer and it just does this. Are you with me? Anybody irritated by that besides me, especially when I have no way of knowing how to fix it? Mark Schilling, help me out. I, that's that's kind of what I'm, I'm feeling, all right? Right, right, right there. Some of you in your life, this is how it feels right now. And let me just tell you why this is how it feels. Because you need a destination, and how I many of you figured out once you know where you're at and once you know where you're supposed to be going, you still can't get there unless you have action. That's the word of this message. All right. Movement, action. Once you see it, you've got to start moving that direction or else we also talk about moving backwards. Moving backwards actually happens really by uh, almost accident. It's, it's what happens when you fail to act in a positive direction. It's what happens when you stop moving in faith. You actually start going the wrong direction. You start coasting. And this has been a season where I think many of us have had to fight that, that impulse to coast. So let's talk about moving in the right direction. Let's talk about the whole ready, aim, fire approach to life, that we're going to go somewhere. Uh, and this is a principle I've found over the years to be true. And I want to turn to John chapter 13. We're going to look at Jesus before we get to Moses this morning, all right? So get to John chapter 13. But if you're going to move forward, you have to know who you are, and you have to know what you're called to do. In other words, you need to know your identity, and then you need to know your mission. How many of you know your identity does not change in Christ? How many Christians do we have out here today? Wave at me if you're a believer. How many of you know part of our identity is you're a son or you're a daughter? Amen? You're part of God's family. How many of you know you've been forgiven? It's really a cool thing. You've been forgiven. How I many you know your future is secure? We're going somewhere. It's going to be amazing. I mean, you know, our present means God is with us now. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I mean, you know, as soon as Jesus resurrected, he sent the Holy Ghost. We're full of the Holy Spirit this morning. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you know, we have the Word of God, the promises of God to carry us through our life and our journey. I mean, you know, we have the presence of God uh, available for us every single day. In other words, we, we got to know who we are. How many of you know we have a defender who cuts off the head of the enemy like David did to Goliath's head, and he fights our battles for us? This is is who we are in Christ. This is our identity. You have to know your identity because that's how you act. You act out of your identity. And then you have to know your mission because your mission doesn't change. How many of you know, you know people talking about, well, the church is non-essential, blah, 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 blah. Oh, no, no, no. Those are only people who believe that don't know why we're here. We have not stopped our mission because of a, of a flu bug. We're still called to take the gospel to the nations of the world. We're still called to bring people from darkness to light. We're still called to love people. We're still called to meet needs. Are you with me? This is who we are. This is what we do. We're still called to help people grow in their walk with God. That never stops. And it's really hard to do that if you're locked in your closet at home for long periods of time, all right? It doesn't work. It's really hard to speak if you have a mask over your face all the time. Um, so these are things that we need to move forward on because they're not mission critical. They actually harm the mission. Now take a look at Jesus' life here in John chapter 13. Jesus has a date with the cross. That is coming near and you can only imagine I realize he's the son of God and I realize he courageously went forward to the cross for us But how many of you know he was also fully man and he understood what the cross had in store for him He understood the agony and I'm sure as Jesus is moving towards that date with destiny The pressures of the cross are getting heavier and heavier upon his life but he knew who he was And he knew what his mission was, and it allowed him to go through the uncertainty and the the pain of that moment and to come out on the other side in victory. And I want us to, to see this in John chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his Father. I love this verse. It says, he loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. How many of you are convinced Jesus is going to love you well until the very end of your race? Because that's what he does. He doesn't quit. He doesn't give up. He doesn't stop investing and loving us. He's going to do it to the very end. Look what it says next. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Uh, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would return to God. I want you to see in that last verse, I underlined that in my Bible and I circled a couple things because what it says is Jesus knew who he was and Jesus knew where he was going. This is a life principle I want to drive home this morning. If you know who you are, a son or daughter of the Most High God, and you know where you're headed... And you know what your mission is. That will allow you to keep moving forward through your life and not get stuck, not get knocked off course. Because look at what happens next. It says, because Jesus knew who he was, he knew the authority he had been given. He knew he had come from the Father. He was going back to the Father. He knew what his assignment was to love these disciples and to pour into their lives. And it says, look at what happened in the next verse. Read it with me. Verse 4. So he got up. Let's read it again. So he got up. I love this. Once you know who you are, what you've been called to do, you get up and you begin moving forward with what God's called you to do. Because he knew those things, so he got up. And look at what he did when he got up. This famous passage. He he got up from the table. He took off his robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Here's what I love about this. The cross is getting close. Things are getting shaken. The pain is is waiting. The agony is ahead of him. But because he knew who he was and what he's supposed to be doing, he continued to love well. And he's washing the dirty feet of these precious men that he had spent three, three and a half years with investing in. In other words, what was Jesus doing when everything was shaking? You ready for this? What he'd always been doing. Giving his life a ransom for people. Not coming to to be served, but to be a servant. He's still doing what he's called to do. He's still loving. He's still giving. He's still caring. He's still discipling. He's still challenging. He's still modeling for us what a godly life looks like, no matter that the cross is only moments away. How many of you know that's a great example right there? So turn with me to Moses. Let's take a look at Moses. I want to begin in, uh, in, Mo- in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Last week we talked about how Moses was given the, the name, an Egyptian name because of his adoptive Egyptian mama named him. And he was raised up literally in the palace of the enemy. How many of you know God has secret weapons that he's forming for the enemy all the time? God was raising up the deliverer of his people right under the nose of this evil Pharaoh. What an amazing God we have. And you know the story in the end, God ordains the situation so that Pharaoh is paying for Moses' room and board and lodging and education. The very man who would accomplish the very thing that Moses was trying to prevent, uh, or the Pharaoh was trying to prevent, God, God was allowing for him to be raised up right under the nose of this evil evil uh, ruler. But it says about this in, in uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 22, it says this about Moses. Moses was taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful both in speech and in action. Everybody say, speech and action. action. Let's say it again, Speech speech and action. Why is this important? I believe this is a template for us today. I mean, you know, everything in the Old Testament was written for our good. God wants us to be people who speak and who act, not just one or the other, but both. And this was a picture of who Moses was, trained under the wisdom of the Egyptians, raised under Pharaoh's house, uh, powerful the Bible tells us in speech and in action. Let me just quickly add, uh, this morning, Dino, you had a very good comment. I want to highlight that for this message this morning. The Bible says this about Moses. Moses' own understanding of himself was not that he was powerful in speech and action. That was the Holy Spirit's testimony about Moses. You remember Moses' testimony about himself? He said, um, God, when he was called, uh, I, I think he got the wrong guy. Because I don't talk real well and I don't know that I haven't memorized that many Bible verses and I'm really kind of new at this. In fact, I've been out in the desert for 40 years. I think you got the wrong guy. Anybody remember that, Moses? But isn't it amazing when God has a calling on your life, if you'll choose to speak and you'll choose to act, God will develop you into a leader that you never imagined yourself to become. And I just want to tell you this, the Holy Spirit's opinion of you is more important than your opinion of you. It's also more accurate, which is why when we're raising children, when we're trying to have good marriages, when we're dealing with things in culture, how many of you figured out it's much better to prophesy what God says about a situation than it is to simply restate the mess that's currently there? I mean, I can say to my son, you're lazy. How come you don't do this? How come you don't do that? You're lazy. Well, why would I want to prophesy that over my son? Why don't I say, you're an amazing son. You're an incredibly hard worker. uh, And God's going to do incredible things with you. Now, can you please pick up the things I asked you to pick up and take them to your room? Because that's not who my son or daughter is. They're amazing. They're made in the image and likeness of God. They've got an incredible destiny on their lives. So part of it is you see the seeds of destiny and you speak into those seeds. You know, we could we could sit and be armchair quarterbacks and curse our culture all day long because there's a lot of things that we don't like. Or we could prophesy over our culture. We could look at situations in our community that need fixing and we can whine about it and complain about it or we can speak and act. How many of you know we have a responsibility, if we're sons and daughters of the Most High, to be agents of change and to bring solutions, not just to keep killing things with our mouths. Can I just say this too in our marriages? You know, we get to know the weaknesses of our spouse. Amen? I know I went out on a limb there because I admitted that I actually think my wife might have one thing wrong with her. Now she doesn't. She's perfect in all of her ways. But I'm just saying, she knows things about me that might not be perfect. We can either focus on those things and poke them and poke them and poke them and poke them and poke them, them, or we can speak those words that actually produce life, that actually call people to a whole nother level. I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, Moses, you're a man of great speech and action. And he's like, oh, I can't even put a sentence together. Oh, no, no, that's not the Moses I see. You're a man of great speech and action. That's what we need to be saying. So take a look here. I want you to see something. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Many years later, Moses is no longer the baby floating on the river. He's no longer being nursed at his mother's own breast. He is now a grown man, and he's actually the next one in charge, uh, the heir to the throne, Pharaoh's throne, all right? Moses had grown up. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. And during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all the directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and he hid the body in the sand. Now again, Moses is walking out here as royalty. He's been raised under the best education, best food, best circumstances. But I want you to see this at the core of his being, all right, he realizes he is a Hebrew, and those are his people, uh, and he is concerned, and he's looking around, and he's seeing the pain and the suffering and the mistreatment, and his heart is moved with compassion. And now, when I've read this passage before, and I've heard messages on this, I've probably preached a few, it's interesting that Christian commentators, when they talk about this passage, will come to a number of conclusions, all right? This is what they usually come to. They say, How many of you have heard this? Moses took the law in his own hands, and he should not have murdered this man because he did not have the authority to do that, and he took the law in his own hands. Or how many of you have heard this one? Moses was trying to be a deliverer, but he was trying to do it in his own way. Well, can I suggest something to you why that could not be true? Moses was raised in Pharaoh's house under the most powerful nation on planet Earth. Do you think he had any uh, fantasies that somehow he was going to deliver all the people? Like, I am the army of one? I guarantee you that was not in his mind at all. I don't even think he had any uh, recollection of any kind of calling on his life to be a deliverer at that moment. I don't think that was it at all. Some people said, well, look how God had to punish Moses, and he sent him out on the backside of the desert for 40 years. All because he disobeyed God, he took the situation into his own hands. It's amazing how punishment-focused we are in the church. Like God's going, oh, you blew it. You're off with hanging out with sheep and the cactus for 40 years. You know, shame on you. No, I don't think that was it at all. Let me tell you what I really think was going on here. Moses walked into a situation, I want you to put yourself there. He walked into a situation looking around at people that he loved. It was his own people. And he probably saw something going on that was brutal and vicious, you can imagine being in various slave situations, concentration camps, whatever the situation might be, where an oppressor is physically abusing, pummeling somebody, beating them in the ground. Uh, you know the cries, uh, the, 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 the blood-curdling screams that are coming forth. We don't know if this was a man. We don't know if this is a woman. We don't know if this was an old person. We don't know if it's a child. We don't know anything about that. All we know is this guy was taking it out on one of Moses' kin, all right? Now, here's the question I want to ask you. What do you do when you come into a situation like that and somebody is experiencing that kind of abuse right in front of your eyes? What do you do? It's interesting that the Hebrew writers, the Hebrew commentators, have a completely different take on this particular passage. What they say is that Moses walked up to the situation, saw what was going on, and that he didn't look around sneakily because he wanted to somehow commit a crime. He realized somebody needs to do something. Yes, come on. Somebody needs to act. And he looked around, and he didn't see any other Egyptian slave masters perhaps nearby. And then he started looking at his people, like, is anybody going to do something And at that point, I want you to see something. Many times for us to move forward in our walk with God, somebody has to come in with a different perspective than what we're used to because we're trapped in our own cycle of brokenness and dysfunction. He's looking around at a bunch of people who have been slaves all their lives. They've been beaten down. They got no fight in them. They, there, there's nobody challenging anything. This is their life. This is what they're used to. And imagine that somebody, maybe it's a man beating up a woman, whipping her, kicking her. She's on the ground, probably going to kill her. Maybe she's sick. Or maybe she can't even get up anymore. Maybe they've worked themselves to, to, to a bone and there's no, no strength left. And you see that situation. Here's my question to you. What do you do? Let me tell you what you do. You act. You act. You act in the face of injustice. You know that there's some, somebody needs to do something. And let me tell you who the somebody is it's you. So, what does Moses do? He says, I can't tolerate this. And he acts. And he grabs that guy and gets in a fight with that guy and he ends up killing that guy. And then he realizes, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? And that's when he buries the guy. But I'm going to tell you that it's more than just uh, Moses, you know, out there, you know, being one of these guys that's uh, maybe angry, off the cuff. Impulsive. I don't think it's any of that. Let me tell you why. Because in this particular chapter, we run into three different episodes that are all very similar and give us a picture of Moses' life. So Moses basically says this, I cannot allow this injustice to happen. You know what? Even recently, I saw in the newspaper where somebody was out shopping at the mall and bumped into somebody else and four people jumped this person and started beating up this person. I'm just going to put it in our... What would happen if you're out shopping at the mall and you see a group of of men uh, jumping Another guy and just pounding him in the ground and beating him up. What would you do? Would you say, "Hey, where's my phone, honey?" Um, hell, there we go. Does anybody know what the number is for security? Um, security. I can't seem to find it. Security. Security. Uh, not, not in there. Uh, where's the security? At? Let me. Let me go try to see if I can find a police officer. By the time you get back, this guy's probably dead. So so what do you do when you're in a situation like that? What do you do if you see somebody mistreating somebody, abusing somebody? You know, there's something uh famous social st- study that went on. Anybody that have studied sociology, it's called the bystander effect. True story. Person was being abused in the streets of New York City. Uh terrible uh, terrible abuse taking place, crime taking place, surrounded by hundreds of people. Not one person Lifted a finger to go help that woman that was being attacked. Not one person. Because here's what happens when you're in a a crowd. You start looking around, and here's what you're going. I hope somebody does something. Can I just tell you, God's people have never been passive. God's people are not looking for somebody to do something. God's people always step up to the plate and say, I will do something. I will help. I will do whatever I can do to help the situation. That's what Moses was doing. Now look at what happens next. I want to go down just a little bit a little bit farther in this chapter, chapter 2. I want you to look at um, uh, verses uh, 13 through 15. The next day, when Moses went out to visit people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. Let me just put a comma right here. Moses has about had it. How many of you know when you're being beat, beaten up by Egyptian slave masters, you don't need to help out the process by having fights amongst yourself and beating up your brother? True, come Can I just say this? We have enough enemies outside the church. We don't need people fighting with each other inside the church. And Moses says to these guys, like, almost like, what are you guys doing? Why are you beating up your own brethren, all right? Your own kin. Your own, why are you Hebrews fighting each other when you got Egyptian slave masters beating a tar out of you every day for all your life? What's the matter with you? How I many of you know what do you do? You speak and you act. You speak and you act. Look at the response here because this is what we find many times. When we do speak out, the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Oh. What he doesn't realize is this guy is going to be his prince and judge because he's number two in command. He, not only is he a moron, but he's a stupid moron. I mean, that's, that's really bad. He's a stupid moron. He, he doesn't have enough sense to quit beating up his brother at number two. Now he's smarting off to the second in command. This guy's really not real smart. Can I just encourage us in times of uncertainty, when things are shaking, don't attack people that are your kinfolk. They're your greatest allies. And don't have a smart-aleck comment when, you're, when you need it. You know, thank God, if I'm ever being stupid, could somebody please come up to me and tell me so? Like, pastor, pastor, you might not want to act that way, pastor. Thank you but can I just tell you something else? If I'm ever preaching and I have a booger on the tip of my nose, please stop me and say, Pastor, I have a word for you, a little gift for you, and hand me a Kleenex. Don't let me preach that way, okay? We need people in our lives who will say, what are you doing? And when you have people that care about you enough to say, hey, It might not be a good way to treat your wife. This might not be the best way to raise your kids. This might not be the best stuff to be engaged in. You shouldn't say, well, who made you king? You should say, thank you that you love me enough to speak and to act. Have you all ever had those situations when you were like, oh, I wish I would have said something? Maybe before the person blows up and self-destructs because of something going on, you're like, "Mm, I was going to call them. I was going to share something with them. It might have been a person who's distraught, depressed, overwhelmed, and you're like, I was going to call them, and then something terrible happens. And you're like, I missed it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't be that person that's waiting around for somebody else to do something. Be the one who speaks. Be the one who acts. Be the one who's not passive. Be the one who takes responsibility for the situation. So this guy says, who died and made you king, basically? And then look what happened next. Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? How many know the devil knows how to push your buttons? And as soon as he said that, I want you to see this, fear came rushing in Moses' heart. Have any of you been attacked with people's words, accusations, whatever, and, and as soon as the accusation came, fear flooded your heart? I mean, so much so that you're shaking on the inside. I've been there before. I've been there before. Instead of being grateful for Moses' help, now Moses is being attacked, and I want you to see what happens next. Then Moses was afraid, and he was thinking this. Everybody knows what I did. I'm going to help somebody out this morning. Is there anybody in here that's done anything that they've ever been ashamed of? Okay, I'm not going to have you raise your hand because there might be a a liar or two in this crowd. (laughs) They will not admit, here's the truth, we've all done things we're embarrassed of. Have we not? And as soon as you do something that you're embarrassed of, this is what the devil says. You don't think you're going to church, do you? Everybody knows what you did. Now, the fact of the matter is, virtually nobody knows what you did at church. It's not like we sit around going, all right, what happened this week? Uh, that we can gossip about or something. That's not happening. Not happening here. But here's the deal. The devil will make you believe that everybody in the world knows your shameful thing. And can I tell you something even more important? There's really only one person that you should be worried about that knows your shameful thing, and that's God Almighty, and that you've got your heart right with Him. You know, there were times when I did shameful things that I had to get forgiveness but I realized that, you know what, no matter how that went across the newspapers or what anybody thinks or whatever, my conscience is clear before God Almighty. And that's the only court that I have to show up in is the court of, the, of God Almighty. So here's the deal. Don't. Some of you, if you're going, man, I'm struggling. The last place I want to be is come to church. I've heard the roof will split open. Lightning will come in. I'll be consumed by fire. No, that's not true. It's not true. Fight those fears. Deal with your heart. God's trying to heal you. He's trying to put you back together. Don't, don't run from him. So Moses said, everybody knows what I do. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses, the Bible says, fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. I want you to see something. Two pictures of a character, a character quality coming on in Moses. When Moses sees something wrong, he acts and he speaks two different times. Now let's confirm it for a third time because three is a charm, all right, when it comes to the scripture. I'm trying to show you Moses was not acting out of some evil impulse. He was actually acting out of a righteous impulse. Look at the next passage here. I want you to go with me to um, uh, Acts, I'm sorry, to, uh, actually I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 11 first. This is good. This is what the Bible says about Moses' life. It was by faith That Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Can I ask you this question? What was the source of Moses' action? Why did he speak and why did he act? The Bible tells us right here. Faith. It was faith. He was choosing to be identified with the oppression of his people rather than live in the pleasures of sin for a season. And he chose to act that out. You know, I'm remembering one of my heroes of the faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story? Amazing story. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, during the Nazi regime and all the persecution that was going on in Germany at the time, he fled the country, got out, came to the United States, began uh, lecturing in universities and sharing what was going on and raising awareness. And then something happened. All of his friends said, hey, you need to stay here, keep safe. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, no. He said, I'm going to go back to Germany and I'm going to be with my people. And uh, and he did that, and he kept preaching, and eventually he was captured by the Nazis, he was put in a concentration camp, and ironically, the way the story ends is only a very short time before uh, the Allied forces came and brought liberation and freedom, uh, he was hung by the Nazis by a piano wire uh, and died in that prison, hanging there naked and all alone, and here's the point, he did that because he loved the Lord and he loved his people. And I want you to hear this, because he had courage to speak and courage to act. Amen. Sometimes there's a price to pay for courage, uh, uncommon courage, as we shared about, which is so needed in our time. There's a price to pay, but I want you to see this. He looked forward for, look. the Bible says, he looked ahead for his reward. I want to remind us, we're not going to be given popularity contests. We're not going to win popularity contests as Christians in this life. In fact, I just want to encourage you, if you're going to the church where everybody's loved and everybody's popular, you're probably at the wrong church and they're not preaching the gospel. Because the gospel, by definition, is countercultural. And Jesus said, you know what? You're going to be hated for standing up for righteousness. Righteousness. You know, it's easy to go with the flow, but when you go against the flow, that's when that's when the sparks start to fly. That's when things start to get interesting. How I many of you know we're called to be countercultural? We're called not to be worldly and embrace worldly mindsets and worldly ways of doing things. We're called to go against the grain, and it takes courage to go against the grain. It's not that hard to go against the grain because you realize if you love God and you love righteousness, you see what's right and you quickly see what's wrong. It's not like we don't know what to do. What's hard is to have the courage to actually do it. But Moses was, was great in speech and he was great in action. And that's what God has called us to be as well. One last passage here, Exodus chapter 2, 16-18 another episode that highlights the heart of this great leader as it relates to his courageous stand against injustice. Exodus 2, verse 16. Now the priest, as soon as he arrives in Midian, the priest of Midian had seven daughters who came as usual to draw water and to fill the water troughs for their father's flocks. But look at verse 17. Some other shepherds came and chased them away. Now, the idea of chasing them away doesn't mean they said, boo, and all these seven ladies started running. What's happening here is, again, injustice. These women were being mistreated. They were being manhandled. We don't know what the extent of that was, Uh, but there were seven of them, which means there are probably at least seven offending shepherds, if not more, in this situation. Moses sees these women being mistreated, and here's what I want you to see again. This is consistent with his character. He speaks and he acts. The Bible tells us what happened next. Um, Moses jumped up, and he rescued the girls from the shepherds. And then check out this stud muffin behavior. And then he drew water for their flocks. One man took off after these shepherds and drove them away, rescued the, the gals, and then starts serving them by watering all the flocks. This is, this is a stud muffin right here. Can I just tell you, men, hear me, men are at their best when we're doing two things, when we're protecting and when we're providing, when we're protecting and when we're providing. He says, I can't allow this. In now, here's what he didn't do. Let me do a cost-benefit analysis of the situation. You don't do that. When you're a man of God and you see people being mistreated, you just simply act. And then sometimes a short second after that, you realize, what have I got myself into? But you act. You don't wait. You just act. Why do you act? Because you have to do something. Because what's taking place is wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And so you act. If you're going to move forward, you're an action figure. You're not sitting back philosophizing and writing down the pros and cons of your behavior. That's not how you do it. Here's the deal. It's not ready, aim, let's get my plan together, fire. When it's injustice, it's fire, ready, aim. All right? It's, It's the opposite. It's the opposite. You act, you act, you act, you act, you act. So here's what I want to encourage you. As things start shaking up in America and continue to be shaken up, will you and I join me and can we challenge one another to be people who don't sit back in church and say, tsk, tisk or I wonder if something could be done. Let's be people who are proactive. Let's be people who jump right in and go, all right, we're going to figure this out as we get going here. But we do know this, we're doing the right thing. And Moses was doing the right thing. You can never go wrong doing the right thing. Wherever Moses lands... He's always speaking out, and he's always acting for righteousness. So here's a secret to move forward, all right? Do something. Do something. Not just anything. Do the right thing. Let's love God. Let's hate evil. Let's be about our Father's business. Let's assume responsibility. How many you know Moses could have said, somebody should do something about these terrible situations I find myself in? But somebody's never going to emerge. You are the somebody. How many of you know that Matthew West song? I love it. Uh, um, How's that go about doing something? He's basically crying out to God in the song. He's saying, God, all this injustice in the world, where are you? Why don't you do something? And you remember the song says this, I did. That's why I created you. So if you'll get in touch with the areas of injustice that really get you fired up, you can begin to take action and you can become part of a solution and you can here's the the thing I want you guys to see this morning if you'll act God always backs up those that are moving in faith he always backs those that are moving in faith let's move in faith got a great quote I want to end you with this morning Dale Carnegie in action he said breeds doubt and fear but action breeds confidence and courage If you want to conquer fear, don't sit home and think about it. Get out and get busy. Amen? Don't sit home and think about it. Get up and get busy. One of our messages from last week is you've got to face your fears. You've got to face your fears. I want to pray this morning. Uh, I want you to join me in that we ask the Lord to give us wisdom and direction on how to be agents of change and action during the seasons that we find ourselves in. Father, we're asking you right now for that uncommon courage to put in our hearts to deal with the the circumstances around us and the things that we feel overwhelmed by. Father, there's so much injustice in the world today. There's so much challenge, so many areas where there's pain and people hurting. And Lord, you've called us as the church of Jesus Christ to see a problem, and to jump in and to be a part of the solution to the problem. So, Lord, we pray for America today. We pray for this weekend as we celebrate Memorial uh, Weekend, and we think about those that have given their lives so that we could be free people. Lord, we pray for America today. We pray for those who have, uh, families have been impacted by somebody who's paid the ultimate price for our liberties. And Lord, most of all, what's burning in my heart this morning is that we do not move in a slave mentality, a passive mentality, a, a mentality that shrinks back from doing the courageous thing, but that we grab a hold of the freedom that we have been given and we've been entrusted with, and Lord, that we would use it for your glory, and we'd make the biggest splash we could possibly make during our time here on earth. So, Lord, bless our people. Bless those who are listening online right now. There might be some that don't know Christ. Some maybe even here this morning that don't know Christ. Lord, I pray for salvation to come even today into people's hearts and lives. Jesus, move powerfully. Raise us up. May we, each of us in this place, may it be said of us. May it be set of living stones that those people are powerful by the Holy Ghost in speech and in action. God, may it be so for your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, "Amen." amen. Amen.